This is the Post America Podcast. That's right, motherfucker. What the fuck you know about podcasting? This is our shit. Post America. Macho Black, Richie Crutch, Chrissy the Baboon. Post America Podcast, son. Download that shit, motherfucker. What's up, everybody? It's Richie, Post-America Podcast. We're back. But now I'm doing something a little different. Uh, This is called the Regional Scene Series, where we take a look into the scenes from the 90s era of hardcore. A lot of people were asking about this after I talked to Craig uh, Satari, and uh, we were talking about the changing of the guard in New York City. So the first one I wanted to do is with a friend of mine I've known a long time, and he is and was in the mix of all of this stuff in his in his region of North New Jersey, where it was very active. I got Seth Meyer from One for One and so many other bands. How you doing, Seth? Pretty good. How about you? I'm good, baby. You know how I do. But yeah. I-, I wanted to have you on because it's a good way to start because I'm originally from North New Jersey. But m- by the time my my hardcore life began, I'm, I'm living out in PA. But uh, being from this part of PA, there was a lot of cross pollinations with the the North bands, you know, uh, and in all different areas. But so I have a little bit of uh, knowledge on North New Jersey and its history. But I wanted a real pro, a real historical expert, and I know that you you could uh, help everybody learn a little bit. Uh, and this is a time that I think is so overlooked when anybody talks about hardcore. The '90s is rarely given the praise that it deserves so let's absolutely yeah so let's start with what do you what would you call what would you say your your beginning your first year in the scene would be yeah so um my first year in the scene i'm originally from staten island and so like my first year was through new york like my first show was like uh biohazard in the city with burn and then i was going to lemores and the rock palace and then um, cause like my mom lived in New York and my dad then moved to New Jersey. So I'd stay with him during the week. And that's like, maybe like a year into it. I started going to shows at like studio one. And then like, there was a couple of kids from my high school, um, like Chris and Andy who were in one for one with me. I met them in high school. And so I started going to shows with them and like, we were all getting into hardcore together. Um, so like the first studio one bands that i remember like the bands that were like the big deal at the time were doggy dog the human offense mm. uh do you know about them yes the offense never rest okay so you know yeah they were like the top band that was like not signed they were like the band that was always going on like right before the headliner you were and, like, the first I- person to mention the human offense to me and i always thought that they were so dope i don't know why yeah. they're not uh it, especially when talked when you talk about New Jersey hardcore, I don't know why they're not mentioned more often. Well, they weren't there for the digital era, you know, and I think their recordings weren't as good as their music was. So yeah. maybe that's another reason why it hasn't survived as well. But yeah, it, they had something going on that was like unlike anybody still to this day, but they had a major impact on every Studio One band, like Joel and Tim, who were the singer and the guitarist they they were brothers joel was actually the original bassist for nj bloodline and like uh but they were like 
older than us. You know, they were like, yeah. you know, they're probably in their like early fifties now. Um, they were all around in the eighties. So they were like the, you know, the older guys in the scene. So like the first show I went to with like Jersey people and like, like through Jersey was, uh, October 2nd, 93 at studio one. Um, and it was doggy dog headline and warrant had just come out the EP and I don't know if it was a record release party, but it was like, you know, just then, um, and the human offense was playing and IDK actually went on right before then, you know, IDK, right? No, I don't think I do. Cause they were like, um, a pop punk band, but like harder. It was like before pop punk really broke though. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this dude, red was the singer, you know, rip face invasion, same singer. Yeah. And karma never forgives with like Zach and Ray, same mm -hmm. singer. Oh, okay. Right? But that was his band at the time. So they played that show. And then NJ bloodline played that show and bulldoze's first show was on bloodline set at that time. But, um, before they were bulldoze, they were a band called retribution. And so, um, it was the same band except Puda sang and played bass at the same time, but he didn't want to do that at the same time anymore. So the, you know, they went and got a singer and got Kevin and yeah, that was the first show. And I'm, yeah, I met a lot of people at that show. I remember I met uncle Mark who we called, you know, the godfather of NJ hardcore. Um, actually I didn't meet him at that show, but I remember first seeing him at that show. I was like, that dude looks crazy. Cause he had, and this is like, 1993, October 2nd, 1993. Yeah amazing yeah so I'm, I'm talking to the right guy then that's going to school us on yeah. on north I, new, new, new jersey hardcore and you talk about the human offense and and them being some of the older guys like yeah who were would you say are were the pioneers kind of back then of really spreading shit around making stuff happen um i don't know if the human offense did that as much as far as like spreading stuff around like they were just like a really good band that influenced all the other bands mm -hmm. um then up next was this band, you know, VOS, which turned into one for one. They were like one of the big bands at the scene. And so they were more driven, I think, like getting out of New York and I mean, getting out of New Jersey, getting like shows in New York and things like that. Um, yeah, there was retribution. As far as spreading it, I think, do you mean like spreading it outside? Cause like, well, no, just like, Rick you know, came like, into the picture, he really helped help that around. But I like, mean, just like the area itself, like, you know, cause, uh, you know, I, I, what I always recall about that area, just shows all the time, constant shows in that, in that region and the easy access to, to New York. So it'd be a hot spot for like all the already well-known bands of New York were always playing through there. So I yeah. don't know who, I just don't know who was booking those shows back then. You oh, know, who, Pete Tertia. Pete Tertia, what venues was yeah. he was he involved with? He was Studio One. He was the guy, and so he was, um, you know, Studio One um, was huge. It fit like two thousand people, so that's where like Sepultura would play, Pantera played there. Like they had a lot of you know big acts. Yeah, and so he he was the guy. So um, the first Studio One show I went to though was actually before that. I just went there with like my New York friends, and I didn't like know people, you know. Uh, but that was Biohazard and uh, Doggy Dog. And that was actually Bloodline's first show, but I missed them because I, I went to Suicidal in the city same night. Uh, and yeah, yeah that, that's Biohazard what people might not realize about that area is 
the easy access to New York City. Like you yeah, can, yeah, it's almost like a, another borough, really. You know. Yeah, I mean, well, that was the thing. Like when I moved to New Jersey, even though I grew up in Staten Island, I can get to Manhattan faster than when I was in actually in New York. And yeah, a lot of the people in New Jersey, we were getting to you know Manhattan faster than a lot of the people in Brooklyn and Queens, and especially the Bronx. Yeah, yeah, it's a great, it's a great location, and that's why you know the PA people were just over there. It's even for our area, it was kind of easy to get to. And uh, what what do you think like caused the the amount of bands that came out of there? And a lot a lot of the bands, like every other scene, I like to get into this at shared members. You know, like you already mentioned, uh, you know, some guys that you, as soon as you said their name, I I recall three other bands that that they were in. Who were like the main players as far as musicians that were in a lot of bands? Well, I feel like uh, One for One and Bulldogs are kind of just like one mega band. Uh-huh. uh because like we've all been sharing members like for so long so like like when we we first came up together you know we're all playing shows together so that's me dan uh mike heinzer and then you know zach oh ray um chris Golas. but like chris played guitar for one for one in the early days for a while you no, know no I way went, i didn't know that yeah um so yeah, he he was playing with us from like September of '94 until like December of '94, and like mm-hmm. all right, as I was I was talking to you earlier today, I was saying that 27 years ago today was a show at Studio One, uh, Murphy's Law and Bulldoze, where Bulldoze was banned from the club, and uh, actually that was the second time Bulldoze was banned from the clubs. This is the first time that they got back in, and. I'm sorry, I forgot where I was going with that with 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 that show. Ah, uh, uh, so you remember shit, and then you forget shit. That's a smoking weed, son. Yeah, gotta get off that tweet. So that'll do it. But yeah, when you said uh, Chris Chris Golis, like what I remember about him, I never remember him as a guitar player. But for the people that don't know, this was, you know, uh, for a big portion, like the main drummer of Bulldoze. And what I always remember about him is having he had like the dopest equipment of all the drummers I remember back then. Oh I, yeah. But I hated playing on his set because it was too big for me. It was yeah, a nightmare. He, he had those things with it, like all the rack. He set up the racks and spread his shit out all over the place. Yeah, yeah. and that's what I was going to say when, that I forgot what I was going to say. When we played that show, when Bulldogs played that show that they got banned from, he was also one for one's guitarist at mm. the same time, which kind of complicated matters. What did Bulldogs get banned out of there for? Well, the first time they got banned was in July. That was... um. Sheer Terror, One for One, uh, Crown of Thorns, 25 to Life, and there was just tons of fights, and it was just crazy, and I know Kevin got in a lot of fights that night, so they didn't let Kevin in the club anymore, so, mm. you know, by default, uh, Bulldogs was banned, and then finally, they were allowed back in the club, uh, and then as soon as they started playing, a huge fight breaks out. Kevin had nothing to do with it at all this time, but, uh, it was bad. This kid was in the hospital, but it turned out to be Kevin's friend, and uh, Bulldogs wound up getting banned from the club again. Ay, ay, ay. Now, yeah. Kevin, Kevin's known as a New York guy. Is he from New Jersey, though, or is he really from New York? Yeah, he's from the Bronx originally, okay. and then he was living in Suffern, New York around that time. That's the is, address I remember, Suffern, yeah. Yeah, so, like, that's right above Mawa, like, right outside in new jersey so like kevin was a major part of that studio one 
scene too because like it was right there you know it's like yeah. probably just as close you know for him as half the people that were going there and what a lot of what what used to happen a lot back then a lot of these bands that were you know predominantly or all new jersey residents were called new york hardcore on the merch on and you know on the the releases and everything we and, changed uh, that yeah one for one was definitely pro jersey like 100 yeah, yeah well victims of society which is the band that um vos we came from yeah which was dan and mike and like you know half the songs in the one for one demo were vos songs originally uh that's the first band i really remember putting njhc on on anything mm -hmm. you know and so um yeah that just carried over to, to one for one and i remember like handing flyers to people like from new york and like them laughing at the njhc they're like really like they had never seen it before like shocking yeah there really was no other way it was just new york hardcore like that was that's the yeah. only thing people would put out there and then uh then I saw in the 90s, I think that's when it really changed. That's why I like, I like to give props to the 90s because people became like their 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 local scenes became good enough almost. Yeah. You know, they kind of didn't have to sweat anybody else. And, you know, I plan on talking to people from even, you know, overseas, all over this country, whatever. But, yeah, there were so many strong local, like self-sustaining scenes, you know. You know, and, too, uh, like in the 80s though when you had like bands from jersey like take a band like like cause for alarm who was like from nutley new jersey that's like you know the same area that we were playing but like manhattan was still their home base for playing shows so i think that's why they were considering themselves new york hardcore like there wasn't a home base like we had at studio one where yeah. we hung out every single week no matter what now what would you think would be more of a home base uh, more the 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 main spot would it be studio one or would it be pipeline well, Studio One, while Studio One existed, and then as soon as Studio One closed down, it just shifted to the pipeline. And then the pipeline is like a fraction of the size of a, a totally different vibe of a club from what I remember. Yeah, I mean, the pipeline was a, a pure punk rock hardcore club where Studio One was like the big metal shows, you know, yeah, and like yeah. there was way more violence in Studio One because of the, the class of, uh, you know, metalhead versus hardcore culture and all that kind of stuff um where you know pipeline was more of a like a good time vibe i mean it definitely had its share of violence but you didn't have like these mega brawls like studio one yeah at the pipeline there was not much of a chance of people just rolling in there that didn't know what they were getting into yeah where at the at the studio one yeah there's like you know regular square normies that are gonna say saw the, the show in the aquarium or something or east coast uh whatever that thing was called and they just show up but um, what what are some other clubs throughout that area you can remember? There was the Cricket Club in Irvington. Oh, I remember that. I saw a great show with you guys, and I think Biohazard there. Am I wrong with that one? Or yeah, we played with Biohazard there, May twenty sixth, nineteen ninety five. And you wow. know that was that what was right after Studio One closed because the the final Studio One show was uh, April eighth, nineteen ninety five, and then Pete Tertia booked that show uh at the cricket club so it was biohazard crown of thorns 25 to life one for one fury of five and dirt map wow what a right. show i yeah i remember yeah. that and i remember uh i remember because i have a bad memory but i remember bobby from biohazard saying on the microphone that night 25 to life the next motherfuckers to break out 
Yeah. Next month. And I was like, oh, shit. You know, and I was, you know, I was a big supporter of all the bands out there. So I was excited to hear that shit coming from Biohazard, who we all love. You know, that night. During that, it was. It was during 25 that he did that, right? He came out during 25 set. set yeah, that. he came to the side, like on the, one of the side mics and just grabbed it. You know how crazy Bobby would be, you know? Yeah. And he just started spouting it. But uh, yeah, I, I myself was involved in so many fights that night. I didn't know what the hell was going on. It was, it was all the bands I was familiar with, but the crowd was definitely different. You know, there was, yeah. a, like you said, the, the pipeline was so small and the cricket club was more of like a, a mainstream rock club. Or so well, the cricket seemed. club had two floors, and so most shows were not on that second floor there. That was only the second time I seen a show on the second on the top floor. Um, the other one was Life of Agony. Like most of the shows were downstairs, which was about a third of the size. Mm. I was probably only there like two or three times at Cricket Club. And I always wondered like what happened to it because I thought it was pretty cool. Oh, it's still there, but you know, it's like um a local Irvington club. You know, it's like they don't do any sort of like hardcore shows or anything like that. Ah, uh, gotcha. Yeah, okay, so I don't got... know exactly what they do there, but yeah, they 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 stopped with like you know everything hardcore related a while. You got ago. you got like, Pipeline Studio One Cricket Club. What are other some notable venues? Well, those are the main ones I would say for that area of of North Jersey. Yeah, but like you know, there was like obsessions, but like that was further out west, even though it was. North Randolph, Jersey. Randolph, New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. That was there like was in the middle of nowhere, there. right? Yeah. And and that was before GPS and that was before cell phones. And I got lost every time. I remember I, I missed like half a mad ball because I couldn't find the place once. Yeah, I remember our uh, guitar player, Chris Mavermatis, his old band got booked uh, there playing with uh Agnostic Front on a one voice tour, I think it was. And we were you know, that was like a big deal when I heard that. Like I was Oh, is that the new Titans on the block? No. Like, no. All front? I don't I don't think that Obituary. was obituary. I actually saw that 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 version, that tour in uh, Allentown and whoa, that was nuts. But I that tour was dope. I remember that. They did that at Obsessions, but that was before my time, like right right before I started going to hardcore shows. Oh, gotcha. All right. You're like a new school guy. I didn't realize. Yeah, no, I knew, I knew <laughs> what was going on, but I wasn't there. Hey, man, I'm not as old as you, man. I'm sorry. You're talking to be older than me. I've just been around. I was like Freddie Madball, son. Uh huh. I was around when I was a Bambino chilling. They used to take me in my crib. Mm hmm. But not, <laughs> yeah. So let's let's go back to. I started in 92. 92, that's deep. Then it's perfect for what, what I'm doing here, what I want to talk about. So we got a little layout of the land, the clubs, the venues, a couple personalities you mentioned. And like what was like i want to i want to i want to think about like what was the style because you know so, you know as goofy as it may seem style is part of the scene and you know whether you're indulging it or not but the kids will dress like you know the other kids they see and and this and that but region to region area to area it's, it's a little bit different this this these guys do this those guys do that what was like the style of the time in north jersey i if felt you like everyone's remember. pants were bigger that was definitely something, right? The the size of the pants. Yeah, I don't. I'm just trying to think of differences. Like when you just look at people, like I, I think New Jersey definitely had the biggest pants. Not that that's anything to be proud of, but <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like I think that everybody had pretty big pants back then, but I think Jersey definitely had some big motherfucking pants. Especially Dan and Mike. Like one for one was like the the big pants. Who had bigger oh, pants than us? Wow. Yes. 
the singer, yo, and and your singer would used to not me my, so much, but you know, no, not but really. Paul pants are big on me, so. <laughs> but yo, your singer, I used to go crazy because he was like a straight edge guy, but he was always smoking cigarettes. Yeah, he had this thing where he said everyone was allowed one fault. Every straight edge person, I, I didn't know what that meant. He's like, most of them, you know, don't do vegetarian. He's like, but I smoke and I'm vegetarian. Oh my god, he's changing the rules. You can't change the rules. Oh my god, but what a band! One for one was, and one for one was really. Uh, and for those out there, that's one of Seth's many bands. I uh, to me, that's your prime band. Like I, I relate that band to you. It's whenever I dealt with that band, I kind of dealt with you. And uh, but it was very different than what was going on in that time around there. It, it, it was like you know, all hardcore is heavy, but it was like it had this vibe that would make it. It wasn't old school, but it would almost make it. It had an old school feeling, if you understand what I'm talking about. Well, yeah, I mean, we were just very into old school, you know, and like especially me on the drums, you know. So I always wanted to do like fast beats, and like when the so songs were VOS songs, like I changed the beats around just to make them a little bit like more like old school feeling, and like, but Ray was always more new school, so there was always like a constant fight between us and i think that's why we had a good balance like because like anything that made it through both of our fighting is going to be good mm. yeah it's always good to have a little a little clash as long as like stuff good stuff could come of it you know what i mean yeah because sometimes clashes end things but if, if clashes like make things then it's usually they usually make good things but what 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 uh, could we talk briefly about it but we kind of breezed over it what were the main regional bands throughout the 90s like the strongest bands like if i recollect i always say one for one and then i a lot of uh, other jersey bands come to mind but a lot of them are from like south jersey or i don't know if they'd be considered in that area what what, what are some of them besides the very early ones we mentioned like human offense and stuff what well, are some of the 691 was another big one yes and that evolved into for the love of okay Right. Um, yeah. So Strength was another big Studio One band when I first came into it. Uh, like when I first came into it, like um, I didn't know who any of these bands were. But every week I'd have like the, uh, you know, the Aquarian or the East Coast Rocker or whatever it was at that time, mm -hmm. where they'd list all the bands playing in Studio One every week. And every week I'd see Retribution, you know, who became Bulldogs, Victims of Society, the Human Offense, IDK and Strength 691. So like actually they were just called Strength at that time. And Bloodline was just called Bloodline before they added the NJ. But I, I was always wondering, like, you know, who are these bands? Like, and like, when I first came into the scene, it was like pretty known that like these are like the guys, you know? Yeah. Yo, how important were those papers you just mentioned, the Aquarian and like even? Well, they were here. everything because yeah. we had, you know, we didn't have, uh, especially like when you're very new, because once you start actually going to shows, like every single week, you have every flyer. But like, that's how I started finding out about things like, you know, before I was actually involved. And, you know, that's what made me curious. I was like, you know, like, who are these bands that you see every week? And they're opening up for bands that I do like, you know, like, like, uh, you know, Biohazard and things like that. Yeah. And what's for people that don't know what Seth is talking about, these would be they look like newspapers, almost like tabloids. And I'd say 80 percent of the stuff in there would be of no interest to us. But there'd be rundowns on like the end of the pages of different clubs throughout the whole area. 
And that was like the key to everything. Like, you know, because there was no internet to look something up. So that's how you made your plans. That's how you found out, found out about stuff. And for me personally in PA, the Aquarian and East coast rocker were always at this one area gas station. And we'd go in the gas station, pull it out, stand in the front for a few hours, look through the thing, and sometimes make rides that night, you know? Yeah, just see what's going on. And like, oh, shit, you want to go? Let's go. 100%. We did uh, that. um, When I saw Biohazard at Studio One the first time, um, we were just blown away. It was me and my sister's boyfriend. And then we had the Aquarian at home, and we saw they were playing in New Rochelle the next night. And we, well, that night, you know? And we were like, yo let's go we just we just went that's so awesome man yeah it's a, yeah that was I a real it three was shows a, in two days that sucker came in handy man and they were free from what i remember right yeah yeah they, they were free and yeah. fat nuts got it start because of that thing because we used to prank them all the time and just make up funny band names no to see way. if they would press it like we would just trick clubs and like be like this is the band name and like you know like it was me dan and shaggy we were doing that all the time so do you remember that guy, the man on the street, Dominic? Yeah. From MTV. So we yeah. pranked him because he was booking shows at the limelight. And so Shaggy pranked him and he said he had a band called Fat Nuts. Wanted to get him in the pay, you know, you know, wanted to book shows with him and everything. And uh and then the, we did that to another club too, and they actually pressed it in the paper. <laughs> right. In the aquarium that we were playing at whatever club. Yeah, we, we had all these things in there, like you probably seen it and didn't even know it was just us pranking people. That is that's ridiculous. I never even Yeah. And then like so when we were trying to think of a name, uh Mike Hines was just like, Oh, how funny would it be if you just called yourselves fat or something? Like, let's do it. And then, you know, Heinz another key name. Yeah, he did yeah. the he, he actually did the artwork, um, the layout for the one of the first crutch releases. Oh yeah? Well, yeah, yeah. Man, like, he's we, done a lot. Yeah, he's, he's good, he's great. Yeah great eye got a great eye yeah i mean that's what he does for a living and everything you know and he's been doing it since the 90s he's, you know he's real good yeah now we talk about the aquarium and this and that like what do you, do you remember any like actual hardcore zines from that area well um not that we're already in circulation when i started going but the one that um i love is a uh, god bless hardcore which is my boy jerry he actually lives out here now, but he was originally uh, from Elizabeth. He was the singer band called Worldwide. Do you remember them? No. They used to play the pipeline. So Worldwide was my boy Jerry and my boy Tito on guitar. And they're the ones that did the zine. And then Eric Deneau from E-Town Concrete was the bassist. This is before he joined them. E-Town started, but Henry was still on bass at that time. Mm. Um, and then my boy Tony, who was the original drummer of Fat Nuts, he, he was the drummer of that band. But they had this zine that was just like, you know, where all of our bands were like, like the focus. That that started in 96. And then me and Reek helped them with that zine. Like I did an interview with uh, Mike Dixon for him. And then me, Reek, and Eric uh, interviewed Carl from Earth Crisis at the Pipeline for it. Um, and that was going for like a good like two or three years, like 96 to 98. It was, it was a great zine. Nice. I don't even remember that one. You know, what? I got some, I got copies of it. I'll, t I'll take some pictures. I'll send them to you. Was there one from that area called time will tell or is that somewhere? Else? Oh yeah. No, I remember that. I think that was, um, that, that dude, um, Steven Asbury. Oh, so that would you consider that more South Jersey then? Yeah, he was sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Down the shore. I like, I, I, yeah. Um, 
I didn't really know him that well, but I, I remember him. And I, yeah, he was the drummer. He's like a pretty boy, real handsome dude, from what I remember. I didn't know he did that Zeno. I just remember that name. Yeah, no, he was a uh, he was a drummer in a band too. I can't think of the name of them though. They were pretty good though. They had a girl singer. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's out of your area. That's out. That's that's South Jersey. Sure, yeah. we, don't, we don't fuck with those motherfuckers. Which uh, New which Jersey, uh, North Jersey's the real Jersey. I agree. I agree. I mean, definitely some good stuff came out of other parts of Jersey, but North Jersey was the spot. And you mentioned E Town. I mean, how could we not talk about E Town? Look at the. Yeah, at, I feel like E Town was like the final product of Studio One. Like it all went through the blender, and it came out as E Town. Yeah. I saw just on E Town's Instagram uh, the other day they they put up a picture and they said this is the first show we ever sold out and it was from the the pipeline. Well, that was yeah, that show was um, that was the the final pipeline show. That was August twenty second, nineteen ninety eight. Wow, that was Seth, unbelievable. That's what I do, right? Um, so that was E Town. This band, I was in conspiracy with uh, Brian from Homicide. Was the singer of that band. It was really like. Um, you know, Fat Nuts with Brian singing and um, but a different style. NJ Bloodline for the love of and then the human offense actually did a reunion for that show. They were the headliner for that show. No way. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, shit. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. E-Town is. Uh, I guess, you know, I hear a little bit. I don't know if I, I without talking to them. I don't know for sure, but I hear some human offense in E-Town. Oh, yeah, yeah. We were all influenced uh, by the human offense. You know, Homicidal's original bass player was the basis from human offense, Brian. Well, I'll tell people at home, if you can, Google that. Try to find some music from human offense because that's like an unsung North Jersey band that was just dope. You know, I don't even know how I came across them, but I just remember all the words. I remember that demo. I remember it had this cool, it almost looked like Ray B's, this one picture of the dude. It was wearing a jacket. It's like his back. I'm trying to think yeah. of artwork. It's uh yeah, dope band, man. I don't yeah, know. That I... was actually the first New Jersey hardcore demo I ever heard was that first human offense demo. The offense never rests. Yep. I remember saying that like oh and shit. I think that was that was ninety one. <laughs> ninety one. Fucking brilliant. I was, yeah, give me I, some, I went yo, to high Seth, school with the drummer. Give me some standout demos from North Jersey bands. The the ninety three NJ Bloodline demo. That's my favorite New Jersey hardcore demo of all time. Wow, that's that is dope too. Five songs and, and they just we just just call them like they had names, but we knew them as one through five. Like you know, there's number two, number three. You know, yeah. But um, yeah, I like that was probably this. I think that was the third New Jersey hardcore demo I probably heard, and yeah, I just fell in love with that and. That just defines the style for me. Like that, they, that's just classic Studio One. I got all these images in my head right now. I wish I could put them to words, but it just it just yeah. brings everything back. I just I see it all in my head right now. And the and uh, the look, it all. the look with New Jersey Bloodline, even E Town, the a lot of bands we mentioned is like a much more urban look amongst the uh, participants in the scene from that area than other parts of the country. I'd say. Would you agree? Absolutely. And, you know, that's why I related it, related to it and, you know, wanted to be a uh, part of it. Cause you know, again, I'm originally from Staten Island and like biohazard was my gateway band mm -hmm. because they had like that local 
sound like it, it you know and they mentioned staten island but it just you know it it felt like the neighborhood and everything and then when i first moved to new jersey i had a lot of like problems because i never like dealt with like preps before and things like that but then when i started meeting like people from like elizabeth and all the different people at uh studio one and everything like that's when i really like felt at home in jersey and then there was a don't get mad at me people but there was a lot of other scenes in new jersey i just didn't relate to because it didn't have that feeling at all like it just yeah i, I couldn't relate to it you know i respected it but it, it just wasn't it didn't hit home like, like uh north jersey and new york you know i was going to just as many shows in new york as as new jersey it was all one to me you know i mean i mean you were part of it too like all of us like you know there were certain people that just stayed in each scene but then there was like people like me you like we were all around all of it yeah all over the place and when you talk about the other the other jersey stuff because at the same time this is going on a big thing in jersey with like these uh these that college what that community college or something what's that uh Middlesex. Yeah, Middlesex and all those. But yeah. it was almost, it was like, it was definitely the hardcore shows, hardcore bands, but it, it was like, uh, from my experience anyway, it was a less welcoming scene. You know, like I really could never get my foot in the door on those shows or even never made any connections with those bands. But there was a, a lot of other stuff going on in Jersey. You're 100% right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it was just different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was different. It was definitely different. It was almost more. Uh, I always say like an elitist. You know, we had uh, we had stuff like that in PA too. That just, you know, in my head, I'm like, yeah, it's hardcore band. We're all cool, right? Right? And and I could see, nah, motherfucker, we don't want to talk to you. And I'd be like, yeah. Hey, and know? they had a problem with me like being drunk and high and stuff, and like you know, you troublemaker. Yeah, I'm like whatever, man. You know. People are like, oh, you're a hypocrite. You're a, you, how can you, you know, be in a band like one for one? I'm like, whatever. I don't write the lyrics. <laughs> I play the drums, yeah. baby. That's all. Yeah. Now, you know, a big problem throughout the '90s, everywhere, almost, almost everywhere, it's violence. What was that violence like in North Jersey? Was it an issue? Yeah, but like, I don't know. It's like, I mean, violence is what we want and don't want at the same time. So it's like we're we're writing songs for people at studio one to like kill each other but you know you don't want them to like literally kill each other so it's like a, a fine line but yeah shows like, were you know bands were getting banned shows were getting canceled you know so was there any ever any issues with any of the ba bands you're in like uh knowing you're going to a location and there's going to be problems there's going to be beefs because i think a band's currently they just don't even have to deal with anything like that right now. Like they're not routing a tour and being like, Oh shit, when we hit here, it's, it's on, you know what I mean? Was it, did you have that situation in, in any of your bands? No. Oh, you guys, I could think of you guys got along with everybody then. Yeah. I don't remember having any problems with anybody. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Cause the nineties, yeah, it was, it's kind of creepy how violent it was, but, uh, it definitely, kind of was supposed to be to a degree you know what i mean it's stupid yeah you had sounds. to know the right people <laughs> yeah as stupid as that sounds it kind of had to be but um all right we talked let's see see we got the style some notable demos now what do you think is the the standout albums from any new jersey hardcore bands north jersey full length see i, I don't think we were like let's we say anything that 
let's say anything that wasn't a demo. Like, like so like seven inches. Sure, yeah. Um and I mean if you count bulldozer as as New Jersey, you know, definitely they're they're seven inches. Oh, and the strength seven inch, although I can't think of the name of it right now, but yeah, strength was a was a really big deal also because like there was that Middlesex County scene and like they, they were kind of like, involved oh, with both, right? They exactly, got, and yeah. they were big in both, and I, like that set them apart in both scenes. I think was like their crossover appeal to like everyone, and they were the first of us bands like to go on a U.S. tour. Like they did a full U.S. tour, so I thought they were like you know like full blown stars, you know, because they were like a couple years older than me when I came in too. So yeah, I was like, whoa, these guys are like touring the United States and everything. Um, and then they had a seven inch out, and then you know that that was a. Uh, you know big deal too yeah that's true they did get down with uh they were on those shows middlesex they played the and and they did well and they played plenty of shows with bands like you know your bands and this and that that's true i forgot about that yeah and then they just turned into um for the love of you know it's like uh you know they were having differences in in musical direction and you know some of the guys wanted to go more metal so those guys did for the love of and they just inherited the fan base and then some for the love of yeah they ended up doing real well yeah and actually um that's another band um the original singer of for the love of um and the drummer uh uh sean and scott they um were in this band called hundredfold that used to play studio one with us all the time and so like it was kind of a merger of those two bands uh when for the love of formed for the love of now since we're talking to you and we had we uh you know we knew you spent a lot of time in 25 to life of course we have to talk about the sore subject of of rick healy when does he come into the into the on your radar that you could remember um so i i met him in in new york originally because I, I i didn't at first i didn't know he was from new jersey and then i first saw 25 to life it was um October 20th, 1993 at the Grand in the city. It was uh, Sick of It All, Warzone, Marauder, 25 to Life, Roguish Armament. And they did this, like, it was like um, Drew Stone booked it and it was like he was having this party and he put this like jam band together and it was like dudes from Biohazard and like they were doing like minor threat covers. Like they didn't do any biohazard songs. Like it was like Bobby, I think it was Danny on drums and Evan. It was pretty cool though. That but I, cool. I, met, I met Rick at that show. I got the demo and then I saw he had like New Jersey address. I was like, oh, I didn't know he was at Jersey. Then I'd see him like at a few of the shows. And then Life of Agony was playing at that same club with 25 to Life. And then we were taking the train home and he was by himself on the train. So I was like, yo, what's up? And I, I was in this band called Push Too Far. And we had a demo. I was 16 years old at the time. So I just gave him the demo and he said, Go, I'll hook you up with some shows. I was like, All right, sounds good, you know. And then he called me like uh, a couple weeks later and he's like, Yo, you want to play this show um, at Bond Street? And oh, so, nice. uh, yeah, so he put us on that. That was January 22nd, 1994. It was 25 to Life, um, Crown of Thorns. That was like Crown of Thorns, like third show uh h2o but it wasn't really like h2o yet you know like they just like this song at the end of uh chronic thorns mm -hmm. and um 
I don't remember who else, but like they didn't let us play when we were supposed to play. Like something got fucked up and then Rick let us play at the end of their set, but like the club didn't want to like let us play. And like, so like everyone just started like flipping out on the club and they're like, if you don't let these kids play, we're all going to like destroy this place. And so the place just went nuts, even though nobody knew who, who the hell we were. We were just like these 16 year old kids and like everyone, like we had the biggest response of the night, I think just because of like everyone like hyped oh, it all yeah. up and them they trying to, to show out. out. Yeah, they wanted to yeah. be like, yeah, that's dope. And all the people, like, you know, like, there's a video of it on, on YouTube. Uh, like, Virginia's in it, which, which is cool. Uh, but you see, like, yeah, like, um, Freddie Madball's in it. And um, all these people, like, and, uh, yeah, we were, like, just these, like, nobody kids. And everyone's, like, fucking dancing. It's pretty cool. It was, like, for me, actually, I just turned 17. But for me, I was, like, you know, freaking out inside, although I'm trying to act like I'm cool <laughs> outside. That's dope. And then what, what comes after that with Rick? How'd you end up in the band with him? Um, so that was that was a wild lady. So he started hooking one for one up with shows all the time. And so then later in 94, um, it was November 19th, 1994 at Sportsland Cafe in um, upstate New York. It was uh, supposed to be 25 to life headline, bulldoze one for one. And lost in the system. And I don't know what happened, but the band didn't show. And so, like, that was the first time Rick put something together really quick. And so um, we did something with me and Zach Bulldoze on guitar, Chris Bulldoze on drums for one song, but then we switched it up and I played guitar on a song and we, like, did some cover songs. Then the same thing happened, like, a month later at Studio One. And next thing you know, like, it's like, the guys can't make it. Can you do this? And then, you know, how that was going uh, throughout the 90s. And then by the time Harry left the band, well, actually, before that, though, I started becoming just the fill-in drummer for um, the band when Harry couldn't make it. Uh, March 23rd, 95, he called me up and he's like, hey, Harry can't make it this weekend. Can you do these shows? And I had to, like, learn, like, 10 songs really quick. And so we had to practice that night. And then we had three shows over the weekend one of them was uh here in Strasbourg at the the sherman theater with vod oh that was a dope show that was and then that same night you came with us i think right you you played that show that night it was um at the down under um did i'm not sure uh, maybe man I, I got a bad memory but you did one of those shows because there was so that's another club though the down under was cool even though it was like down there it was still like they still respected all the North Jersey bands, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, actually, yeah. So we played, um, a lot of shows at the down under that, that was a really good club too. Um, That's I remember that, that Sherman, that Sherman show for yeah. 25 was sick. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was packed. I wish yeah. there was video of that. The problem yeah. is someone probably too has bad. that. That would have been dope. Like, um, and you end up here, and then you end up having a really a good run. How long did you spend in 25 to, to Life? You had a good run with that. So, yeah, I was filling in for like a year and a half, and then um, I permanently joined the band in November of 96, and then I um, left in February of 98. Geez, I, th I thought it would be even longer than that, man. Nah. What were your reasons it for felt leaving? Like it Just him being nuts or what? To make a long story short, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, what can what? I say that hasn't been said? Yeah, what do you think like caused this? You think he was always 
like this or do you think there's like some issues there? I mean, well, I, I think it's a combination of things probably because like, like he's always shady, you know, yeah. as uh, we know from and, the E town song. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I actually didn't no pun intended when I say that. I mean, but you know, facts are facts. Let me ask you this. Did you, were you in 25 when that song was written? Yeah. And it's, it's funny, but not when it, it was released after I was written. And so like, I heard it before it was released. And I remember I was at Dome Studios and uh, I was like, yo, that song's fucking great. I can't wait till you put it out. Yeah, I was uh, already, I already knew I was leaving, but I didn't say it yet. And like, they, uh, you know, they knew how I felt because, you know, it was in my voice. Like, you know, like, yeah. And for the people that don't know E-Town, uh, they made that song Shady. If you're an E-Town fan, that was written directly about the singer of 25 to Life. And uh, I, I remember when that came out, man, he was so upset, man. It really fucking hurt him. But it's like, come on. You know what I mean? How long could you do this or that? Me. I'll say E-Town had his number before a lot of other people. They were the first to publicly call it out. Yeah. You know, like we knew, but like they just straight up said it. And yeah, like it's song. like we knew, but we were friends with him, and he was likable in his own way. So we would forgive transgressions, you know. Sometimes, yeah, and I think he, though also did a have lot a charm. of left the band, and you know, uh, Rick lost a lot of his protection from that. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, so like he was talking uh, to you about it though. He was mad at you about it. Yeah, because I, I told him I was like, I'm not getting involved. You know, I was like, I'm friends with all of you. You know, he's like, that's fucked up. I toured the world with you, and I'm like. Again, I'm friends with all of you, you know, like, and the thing is, I, I didn't even want to fight with him about it. This, this was at my last show. Like, you know, wh why bother fighting with the guy? I have like two hours left with him, you know? Did you and, know it was uh, going to be your last show? Is that how it worked out? Like you? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, because, oh, um, you know, out of respect for the rest of the band, I waited until they had another drummer. You know, So, like, mm -hmm. I had a good, like, overlap period of like two months. And that's one band, 25, that was the a, a Jersey band. Well, I mean, the singer, North Jersey guy, 100%, but everything was New York hardcore. If anybody made yeah. a couple bucks off of that logo, that might be the guy. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call 25 Life a New Jersey hardcore band. Because, uh, you know, musically, you know, the band was a New York band in total. And they had later. Harry, they had, you know, they had yeah. Be uh, Beto, they had... Uh, who else? Warren, you know, he's definitely New York guys. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, it, and it, it feels like New York. It sounds like New York, like, you know, the grooves, the style, the riffs, you know, it's just yeah. only, only the vocals from New Jersey, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But to me, that's important. If you're saying PA hardcore and I found out the singer's not from PA, you're getting a beaten. So I'm still right. old school like that. Seth. I get crazy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I still bring the violence back. Now, How long did you live in Jersey? Ah, I was like a little kid when we left, okay. but like you see where we moved. So it was like uh, my whole family, like we're the only ones that moved. Uh, so I was always back there, you know, grandparents, aunts, uncles. and Yeah. Yeah. No, that's like, like, like me with, with Staten Island. My mother never left. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Newark, New Jersey, did, right off Bloomfield Avenue, the famous Dickie D's Italian hot dogs, Calandra's bakery. These are prime spots. Even to this day, I go back to those spots. Yeah, my sister's in that area now. She's a nutty. Oh yeah, this is yeah. this is North New Jersey, baby. And what was my one spot? I still go there. What the fuck's it called? Uh, they had the the famous chicken Savoy in this one spot, Be uh, Belmont Tavern. Yo, 
beautiful place. If you go into Belmont Tavern even today, you think you went to a time machine. It looks like the 50s in that motherfucker. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's one of those spots. It's, yeah, it's just nice when you see something that's like just still there. You know? Yeah. And even do you know of Calandra's Bakery or no? No. I mean, this place also, it was made in like 63 or something. Same sign out front, that dope, you know, light up sign. Dickie D's got that same sign. It looks like it's, it's, it's a, it's a standout for, it looks, it looks old school, you know, it's dope. Now, listen, Seth, you're in North New Jersey, that scene you came up on, the friendships, the relationships, the community, the good memories, the bad memories, the fights, the friendships. What did that 90 scene mean to you? It was everything. It, it changed my life, you know, like, you know, like, I don't know what would have happened without it because it actually got me out of a really bad place, too, because like where I was coming from in New York, like the people I grew up with were getting in a lot of trouble and like, you know, they were really heading down the wrong direction. If I would have like stayed there and gone down that path, like who knows like what would have happened if I didn't have that outlet to do something productive with my life. Like mm -hmm. my little brother, he, you know, he grew up in, in Florida. He's 20 years younger than me. And he's asking me, it's like, how do you get a band together? How do you do this? And I'm like, well, you gotta be in New Jersey in the nineties. Can you do that? You know, cause like, yeah. I don't know where you live, you know, like, uh, like it was just like the, everything was the right time, the right place, you know, like, if, if if that didn't exist, like I yeah, I don't I have no idea what like I, I who knows I could be like dead like 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 a lot of other people. I I, I just don't know, but that, yeah, that, that definitely like you know took me out of hell and uh gave me the majority like I, I still got my neighborhood friends, you know, from when I I was real little, but like the majority of my best friends I met at Studio One. So you hold a fondness to the scene. Yeah, I guess I rambled that. <laughs> just say that, yeah. Oh no, no, yeah, no. I liked your answer. I was just, I was making that clear before I throw the next thing in. Now, when you look back, um, why do you think that the '90s kind of, and especially that region of the United States, it seems so overlooked when when they talk about hardcore? You know, like history always looks upon Minor Threat, you know, Black Flag, and these same things over and over and over. But if you listen to music nowadays, bands that even got big and bands that are, you know, very successful, they don't sound like any of those bands. They sound like hardcore bands from the 90s. You could trace back that sound to these big acts, to bands like even like Slipknot and stuff and Limp Bizkit, like these bands that, that got bigger than anyone thought possible. They sound like nine different versions of updated 90s hardcore bands. Like, why do you think that that, era doesn't really get the recognition that i think it deserves well like for instance one when you were asking like about full-length albums and my mind drew a blank you know i think that's a part of it mm. you know we it's like demos you know like we, we weren't business-minded people we were just we were kids like the song beatdown was written by a 14 year old you know like wow yeah like we we were we were all kids you know we weren't business-minded or anything like that you know so when you look at most of the things that, you know, do make the greatest impact, they're albums. Like when you, when you mentioned minor threat, you know, like discord records, that dude was a businessman. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. Very I'm, good point. I'm definitely not a businessman. <laughs> I very tried good point. And, and what I could remember back then and my own bands and bands I dealt with and the bands throughout North New Jersey that I knew personally, like 
there was barely anyone that gave a shit about money at, at, at any level. It was just keep on playing, keep on writing stuff, you know, and going to shows. And I think that that's one weird thing about the hardcore scene is that's so far off the radar. You know what I mean? It's almost like detrimental. It's, it's like a bad quality if, you know, for like the longevity of this thing, because this thing is always on like it, it lives on, but it lives on life support almost indefinitely. You know, the hardcore scene. Like I could remember Fury of Five was like a band that was like making a run that might that might be in my head. I was like, wow, they might be like one of those bands on that get on TV. You know what I mean? Otherwise, mm-hmm. nobody really seemed to give a fuck. Am I wrong about that? Yeah, I mean, I think E Town changed that. E Town definitely was hungry for that. Yeah, and they're the ones that have public, the album yeah. though that that is most remembered of all of us. Which one? Which album? Their first album, like, the Renaissance. How about that? I mean that that I, I think you know that's a really good album too. But like it's the the, the you know the first album, um, Time to Shine is the one that I think yeah. is like you know that that's the one that that they will forever be known. That was the game changer. You know? Yeah, so dope. Any town is just uh you know they had another good thing. They had some musicianship that was a, a little better than some of the other bands at the time. Creativity. And you're right though. Yeah, that was another band, Fury Five, E Town. That was like they would make a run for it. They would entertain like trying to be on a major label or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, Th- that's true. That's true. And look, uh, we, we were looking to go that way with 25 to life, not Rick, but the, the rest of the band. Yeah. But, you know, I guess we'll, we'll leave that out of the, the, the Jersey equation because it didn't happen anyway. We were just, we just would have wanted to. Yeah. But that was later for me, you know, like in the earlier days, like when, when one for one and fat nuts or all that, you know? Yeah. My only intention was just like I didn't give a fuck about money at all. Yeah, yeah. My circle, like I don't even like it wasn't. It was it was kind of stupid to be like that. But yeah, it wasn't even a thought. Like, yo, how could we afford this? Like, what? Afford what? We make it happen. Like we make everything else happen. Let's go. Yeah. You know. Like, uh, what do you do? You know? Do you still keep up with stuff, newer bands or anything like that? Not really, to be honest. Like a little bit here and there, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, not really. Well, I think Sorry. what's nice, I, I don't know if you know, but well, I, don't, I don't bring this up to see what you know about it because we're talking about 90s hardcore, but I just bring it up because a lot of, yeah, you might be surprised, a lot of newer bands are very vocally, you know, loud about their, you know, admiration for 90s hardcore. Like there's a lot of, kind of like the way we might have bit like some style from the 80s, maybe even a piece of merch, you know, the agnostic front boots tournament to something else for our own band that's going on now uh with bands they 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 uh real hardcore bands they know the history of the 90s and that's another reason i'm doing this because that's cool to see younger bands really delving into that stuff yeah you know how i see hardcore now i see hardcore as like jazz and rock and roll and like 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 classical music where like you know it's there it exists and there are people that weren't there for its heyday. Like, you know, like I love jazz music. I love, I love classical music and I still want to like learn everything I can about all of that old music. And I'll still like play in that style and do those kind of things. But like, you know, the, the greatest jazz albums have already been made. And I feel like, like that way about hardcore, like there'll still be good jazz albums that come out, but it's not the golden age, you know? Mm. Now, do you think that's just your your 
dedicated to your time or is that a real thing like can't can't there be another can't there be an album like this maybe this new turnstile that could stand alone against uh, one voice or one of the great old you know older uh, yeah uh, well first uh, turnstile i think is an incredible band uh yeah. absolutely incredible very talented and but what they're doing is that you know they're taking a lot of things that are incorporated from non-hardcore and using non-hardcore colors and, and i think that's a great thing but i don't see the explosion of bands breaking out doing new things you know what i mean like i think like a band that's going to make a masterpiece is going to be an anomaly where like in the 80s you had masterpiece after masterpiece yeah i got but you yeah for me though like I, I could just be completely off because i feel like pe more people like the 90s better than the 80s where i feel like the 80s was the high point so maybe maybe i'm wrong you know fuck that the 90s 80s dude the, the I, 90s, see, the 90s the gave diversity it, I, the 90s gave diversity where in the I 80s the 80s you had diversity too i i felt the opposite man well give me give me two examples of of uh two different bands from one extreme to another music wise from the 80s even like in the same exact scene at the same time a band like urban waste is nothing like reagan no, yeah, there's that's that's a that's a good example. I like that. But yeah. now we, now we could come into the '90s and we could say Earth Crisis and One for One. You know, like there's there's also that diversity there that's like extreme. You know, I wouldn't say it was extreme because Dan was extremely influenced by Earth Crisis, and so was Mike. And yeah, Ray, but the, especially in our like lyrics. The, this, this, yeah, maybe lyrically, but the, the, yeah. the sound sonically, it's yeah, it's, no, yeah, yeah, no, 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 yo, you're right. Um, yeah. you know what though? Like, I see it that way now, but at the time when I was coming into it, like I felt like I missed the boat. And in all forms of music, I like fast music, where, where there's jazz, classical, like whatever it is. I just mm -hmm. like fast music, and then everything in the 90s was slow, and I was like, you know. I like all these things going on in the nineties, like all this slow stuff, but we still need fast stuff. Yeah. You know? And that was and one thing. Definitely. That was a change in the nineties. And it's probably just an answer to the eighties when everything was fast. So well, exactly. Like, yeah. Everything is always, a, 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 always a reaction. But like, I, I feel like this in, in music in general, it's just like, every, you don't have to do that every time. You can still like keep the good elements and, you know, totally. I, I wish yeah. more, more people. Would. So that's what I was trying to do was like, you know, always bring a more old school flavor to it, but I still wanted to have double bass, you know, crunch and, and like, you know, hard breakdowns. But like, you know, I felt like Biohazard made a perfect blueprint. And then to me, the defining sound for the 90s hardcore for me, like what I, the direction I wanted to go in was totally, uh, uh, why am I blanking out the name? That demonstrated by Chop Many Suckers. Mm. When that seven inch came out. And that's when I was like, you know, coming into it too. But like, that was it, you know, because it was just like fast and hard, but like those fucking breakdowns. Just yeah. Yeah. Madball always kept the they kept killer. They kept fast parts even throughout the career. They yeah. Fast. Now, could we give could we give North Jersey the claim to the invention of beatdown? Or yeah. no? Yes. And that, and that would well, be those. Yeah, because it, it it was a concept that was created by bulldoze. Because like a lot of the style existed before bulldoze. Like you take that biohazard song, like skinny song, 
you know, yeah, uh, yeah. like that, that is a beat down song, but lyrically it's not there yet. You know? Um, yeah. And it's just part of the equation with biohazard where, where bulldoze yeah. made, it's almost like it's, it's genre. This is beat down hardcore. You know? Yeah, yeah, like like the Beatles, you know, like they kind of made metal and Health to Skeleton, but it was just the one song, you know. Oh, and so then, it's, like, it's on record. It's on record that North New Jersey gets to claim the invention of beatdown hardcore, and that is, I mean, that that's what I'm saying. The '90s yeah, were so influential. Well, it was a concept by Zach. It was Zach's concept, like he, he like like he was looking at bands like 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 Biohazard. like, and at, at that time, you know, it was like fast slow down breakdown and zach was like yo what if it was just nothing but breakdowns and then you know he came up with that concept too like yo nothing but a beat down and like that changed everything yeah and yo what a great riff writer yeah i give zach mike wow. wrote the riffs to that one and then zach was like the lyrical concept oh yeah nice yeah they, they are just a great team and you know like and they're still doing it now you know like zero trust is out um yeah those guys are great and i'm starting a new band with them we don't got a name yet but be on the lookout for that as well seth and the scooters how about that you could take it if you want really seth and the scooters baby people be wondering what All that right. sounds like they'll be interested like, wait a minute seth and the now i got a visual scooter from the muppets in my head see but let's let's talk about zach for a moment because i wanted to talk about some key you know some key personalities from that era and that's Zach's that dude's the, one of them. He's the epitome of North Jersey. You know what I yeah. mean? That's that's a that's a that's a white boy from North Jersey, hundred percent. That's how it is. Like that's what I remember from back then. That's just that's it. He's the epitome. And under his belt, though, like what what bands? Let, let people know what bands that dude's been in. Well, let's just talk about the bands he hasn't been in because there'll be less time. Yeah, for real. You know, like all right, so like so. First, he was, you know, Retribution. Actually, before that, he was, or around the same time, he was in this band called the Booty Time Lounge Band, right? Which, uh, with, with Rodney, who was in Homicidal with us, and uh, this dude Frankie singing. And I don't what even know what called? they sound like. The Booty Time Lounge Band. Holy shit, I never, I, I don't think I've heard that. Now nah, you did. Wow. And, like, I think Poodoo was in that as well, I think. And, like, but they were, like, a, like a funky kind of, like, uh, like, I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it because I haven't heard it. I just heard people describing it. But I know the, the dude Frank that sang, and he was like a Mr. Bungle freak. And uh, so, yeah, but Zach was in that band. Then Retribution, then Bulldoze, and then Train of Thought, then Agents of Man, then uh, Truth and Rice, One for One. Actually, he was in One for One in the 90s. And then again, later, uh, um, Amazing. Elements DEC, uh, Scarhead. And the new Scarhead album is about to drop. Uh, Karma Never Forgives. Um, Did you say Homicidal? Yeah, Homicidal. I didn't, but yeah, Homicidal. Oh, dope. Yeah. What so, a resume. Um, Great guitar resume. Probably one of the, yeah. the strongest guitar resume guys to come out of the scene. That's like, that's pretty impressive, man. Yeah, now he's, and now he's in uh, Zero Trust. Yeah, he's, um, yeah, he's great. And actually, yeah. we, um, we played live for Terror Zone together. Too. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. damn Terror Zone. That's another one. I've totally yeah, I mean that was that really band. that was really a, a, a New York band. You know, like we filled in a couple of shows, but like you know, that was all like 
the, the main core of that band was uh, Suffering New York. Yeah, Terror Zone was like a, a, like a, just an offshoot of Bulldoze. Like that's like it came out with a, mo- a more metallic Bulldoze, from what I recall. Yeah, because um, Bulldoze used to also practice up at Kevin's house in Suffering New York, and so like he had the studio there. So like that was the band he did with those dudes there. Like that that all lived up there. That's dope. Yeah, they used a lot of um, harmonics in the guitars. Yeah, definitely. That was a thing in the '90s too. Like, uh, you know, uh, you know, '90s era bands. What was that? Snapcase kind of style, and you know, yeah, Snapcase yeah. really set it off with that. Like uh, after that, that I forget the name of the album. What was that? That that first Snapcase album called? You know, I don't know much about Snapcase to be op- to, to be honest, but I do remember the the harmonic vibe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were a big influence, like on like everyone around me at that time. Like definitely everyone in, in my band, and you could hear that like going in between like the one for one demo into the one for one seven inch. You know, yeah. in between that was Snapcase, and you you could definitely hear the influence on the rest of my band. Like songs like I won't lose. Yeah, and the nineties, I give uh, I give credit to the nineties for really pushing double bass work too in the scene. Yeah, because you know what, like. Us guys were different from the 80s hardcore guys because, like, you know, most of the 80s hardcore guys grew up with 70s music and then, like, the late 80s guys grew up with, like, you know, early 80s metal and, uh, you know, I grew up on on thrash with a lot of double bass, you know, and also death metal and so, like, yeah, as much as I was into old school hardcore, I really wanted to add, you know, a lot of, you know, double bass. Now, how about this for for North Jersey? Was there any like, uh, any issues with bands coming through? Like, was there friendships with certain scenes coming through? Were certain scenes coming through enemies with, you know, like, because uh, in PA, we had these kind of relationships. This scene came through, oh, shit, we don't like them. This scene comes through, oh, we love these dudes. Everybody shows out. Do you remember any outside uh, influences coming through there or any outside enemies coming through the Jer- Jersey scene? Like, just kind of politics and relationships of the time. Well, you know, like all the the like tension I ever felt, like, like you know, like with like that middle sex crowd and th- things like that, and like the that would happen when I left that scene. But like, I don't remember any of them ever coming, like, or I shouldn't say them specifically, but just like anyone ever coming to our area that that had like beef with us. Mm, gotcha. You know, like I think they just wouldn't come. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was a lot of people that were scared to go to Newark too, you know, like, you know, people's cars were getting stolen and things like that. You know, like a lot of people just didn't want to go to Newark. Yeah. I remember one time, uh, I hope I'm telling you because you probably know the story exactly. So I might sound like a liar. Somebody got shot in the ass out in front of the pipeline. Do you remember that? No, you're lying. dude. No, come on. You never heard that? <laughs> Honestly, I never did. I'm not calling you a liar though. But like, I think it was one of the dudes that was helping Fury of Five load out. Somebody drove by, shot him right in the ass. I got to I got to I'm not it. surprised though because things like that, you know, that's just like what happens over there, you know? Like yep. my car got stolen in front of that place, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I remember one of the dudes with Fury one time the car got stolen and I happened to know where the, where the police station was and I I let the dude know and he he comes back. I'm like, "What they say?" He's like, "Dude, they wouldn't even let me in the fucking police station. They would like acted like they went crazy. The guys behind bulletproof glass in there and he told me to get the fuck out." <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, they, that was they, a they, wild they, area, bro. 
Yeah, no, like, so when my car was stolen, there was a cop standing right there, and there's a, there's a snow print missing from where my car just was probably like a minute ago. Yeah. And I, and I said to the cop, like, my car was stolen. He's like, you know who took it? I was like, no. He's like, then what do you want me to do? <laughs> like, right? And then I, I saw one of my friends coming out of the car glass. She, she took me down to, like, to the police station, gave me a ride home and everything. But then they found the car, like, uh, 10 days later. It was, it was all fucked up. But the funny thing is, like, they stole my my clothes and everything I had in the car, except I had a box of fucking hardcore demos that are absolutely priceless. And that was the thing I was bummed out about the most because the car was worth five hundred dollars. And they didn't. So touch I, did, I didn't give a fuck about the car. Yeah, but like, I was like, oh, the fucking demos. So they took everything and left the demos. Beautiful. What what great yeah. luck. Yeah, Yo, it had like, North it had, like, was like the original VOD demo. It had like you know oh, my bulldoze wow. demo. It had like. All the classic demos were in there because it was a tape deck in the car, you know? That original VOD demo was like one of the first demos I remember that had like pr actual professional printing on the cassette. You remember that? Yeah. Um, well, the New Jersey demos were doing that too. Um, you, oh, you mean like not a sticker? Yeah. Like it was like, it looked like a, a it came out of a pressing plant, but it was a demo. Like all the yeah. shit I was dealing with was just stickers or a ma magic marker written on that motherfucker. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, those theirs were very nice, and each one was a different color. Yeah, that shit. Was like nice. they had the yellow one, they had the red one. They uh, came out. They, blood, blood for blood was like that too. Like the very first demo was like professionally pressed. You know? Pretty yeah, cool. mine are so like cheap. If like I like I look at them now and I see them going online and like. Like I, I had typos. My handwriting is horrible, I, <laughs> and I'm like, man, and they're everywhere because I made like thousands of them. Because every day I would just sit there making demos, hundreds every day. Yeah, and I remember. So they, they were just a mess. Everybody wanted <laughs> demos. Like if you showed up, if you're a band from outside of PA, and you show up PA with 50 demos, you're gonna get rid of all of them. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it was awesome. And I used to just walk up to everybody too. Like you know, I was just trying to get rid of everything. So I would go to shows with demos. You know, uh, shows we weren't playing just nonstop, like, and everybody wanted a new demo, you know, like, even if they never heard of you. Yeah, that was a, such a big deal in the 90s, the demos. And also, were you like uh, uh, doing a lot of like just straight up old school letter writing back and forth to different people back then? Yeah, and I, I still got a whole box of uh, letters in, in, in my closet, like, you know, from isn't it crazy that world? anything got done back then? Like, yeah, it, it, it's funny. I, I, I like, you know, I start a new band and I'm like, all right, let me let my friends in Europe know. And I write these letters. I'm like, here, this is our demo. Do you want to buy any? Blah, blah, blah. And I wait like six weeks to get a reply. Yeah. And they'd say, yeah, send me 15. And it was, yeah. it was crazy, man. The best was Japan because they'll send you like 300 bucks. Like, here, give me a million. Like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Japan so strong back in the 90s. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. That, that was the best. Interesting time, man. You know why? Because I feel like. It didn't seem like work, of course, because we were doing it because we loved it. But it yeah. was a lot of hard work, like just yeah, staying on top of shit, moving stuff, running to places, pressing stuff, printing stuff. Mailing was like we became like our own little businesses back then. But it was all out of pocket. Just, you know, boom, boom, boom. It was really interesting time that it, it almost should have died back then. But we didn't let it. It, it was the adrenaline. Like we, we needed it, you know, like. It, at the end of the day, it was just so we can get on stage and watch people destroy each other because we needed it. So, it, like, it just didn't, 
it didn't seem like work because we saw that end game in sight like you know totally get this and, done i do this and more people are going to come to the show and there will be more destruction yeah and boy we were really rolling the dice because even i remember going to europe off letters like okay yeah i'll i'll, I'll buy the ticket you go here and like, you never you don't know these people at all you show up and you just land somewhere and you expect somebody to pick you up and they do it was fucking crazy and that well it didn't work out for us so well when one for one did that and like you know like half of our dates were like canceled. oh <laughs> that's that's was what i'm saying we really it, rolled you know, the it, dice. it was a nightmare yeah we like i i went on that tour because like i wasn't even in the band when i did it like dan just told me like you know like um the dates and everything i was like oh i'll do it and uh he said they were making x amount of money but then we got there and we weren't and all of a sudden i'm out of money i'm like fuck. yeah man <laughs> we gotta go home <laughs> you, you rolled the dice baby and all the good shows were already behind us yeah so you had nothing to look forward to except cold yeah we didn't even know where our next show was we were like what the hell is going on like, yeah maybe you just did it and we in even in the states we would do it a guy from you know out in ohio would write you a letter and then you try to give him a phone call but phone calls are so expensive you had that we used to rock that goofy dialer that would be like, you know, make free phone calls on pay phones. And you just they'd give you an address and you'd look up in an atlas and they'd say, be here by six and you'd figure it out. It was crazy. You know, you know what though? You know, it's, I think it's, it's crazy now though. It's like in 2018, um, I, w I was at, uh, this is hardcore and, uh, you know, Lex from eProfest just, messages me he's like hey you want to play um deeper fest next week and i'm like yeah i wish he's like no i'm serious you know and it's <laughs> like we're there in a few days now you know what i mean like yeah the, the the fact that we could put that together that quickly i mean we used to have to wait six weeks to find out what someone th thought of your demo yeah and now we're like to europe and back and i went and i didn't even take a day off of work you know, like I just went Friday night. You were there. You know, yeah. you know the show I'm talking about. Yeah, that's amazing. You could do that. You would have a chance back in the past of doing a one-off show somewhere in Belgium on a weekend. Like just, it wouldn't yeah. happen. And even like when it just pops into the guy's mind, on uh, oh, it's Tuesday now. Oh, it'd be great if I get Seth over here this weekend. Let me hit him up on Facebook or whatever means and get an immediate response. Okay, you're down. All right, I'm buying the ticket now. Here's your information. Here's a screenshot, blah, 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 land here. It's, it's yeah, it's now it's like a no brainer. But back yeah. then, everything you did was a roll of the dice. You didn't know if somebody's going to keep up their end of the bargain. I give people props because for the most part, they did, you know? Yeah. But you could definitely have driven 12 hours to a show, to a venue that's not even where they said it was, or the door's not even open. They're not open that night. You know, we know all these stories. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> but we had balls, baby. Yeah. I mean, and that did happen to us in Europe, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. We had that once in Europe. Uh, we go, the show's not open. This guy is like, what are you doing? Like the guy that owns the venue, there's no show here. We tell him the guy's name. He said, this guy's in jail. He's been in jail. Like there's no way he booked the show. Our singer Joe's like talks the guy into letting us have the show there. Cause it was advertised online. Joe stands at the door, takes the money, deals with everything, gives the guy half the money at the end of the night. But yeah, it's, it's, it could, you know, it, it just, it's, it's nuts, man. But that's how, that's, that's the but, but kind of mentality. We, yeah. hundred percent. I mean, you would never trade any of it for like a million dollars, you know? No, 
but if 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 I had a kid who was 17 now and it was the same kind of technology from back then now and he's telling me he's no nah, man you ain't going nowhere motherfucker that's crazy talk i'm going to europe why through who oh some guy do you know him? well yeah i gotta let two letters for, get out of here you ain't going nowhere our parents must have been nuts to also to, to be honest well i mean i think hardcore people in general like no one in hardcore has normal life like <laughs> comes from a normal family Everybody's bananas yeah for real yeah so like that's that's why we we you know do these things like it's not for everybody it's definitely not for everyone and like it takes being an adult and looking at everyone's kids yeah and like being like oh my god like i was their age yeah you know? and like yeah. i would never you know I, yeah i would never want to work there yeah i talked to my nieces and nephews and geez, these people can't even get on the telephone with some with somebody without like sweating and getting anxiety i'm like what the hell happened to society Back then, it was just you were like on your own all day as a kid. Like, I yeah, I was like a little kid. I'd leave in the morning and I'd come back whenever I wanted. Nobody said a word. I don't know. It was weird. Yeah, it was. You know, it was. It was lawless. You, I mean, you, you, your parents didn't want you in your house as a kid. They didn't want to see you. Like, why are you inside? It's nice out. You know, like we'll play with your friends. Yeah, my dad said, "What are you doing here?" I said, "I live here." He said, "Get the fuck out. You sleep here, and that's it." Said, yes, sir. <laughs> Sorry, sir. Yes, sir. Nah, he was a nice guy. He was a good guy. Ken, that's easy. But what yeah, yeah, no, I mean, they were like dicks about it, but it was just like, you know, you're supposed to be outside playing, you know? 100%. It would be weird if you were in the house all day. They'd be like, what, are you sick? Like, yeah, you know? especially where, where I lived when I was like a little kid, like it was just a million kids and everyone was outside. So like, if you didn't go outside, you know, like, like what were you doing then? What a time, baby. What a time. In the 90s, I got to make sure people know, and I'm glad you helped me with North Jersey because that was a key spot. And I know kids back then different parts of the country different parts of the the world were really loving the demos and the products you and your friends put out from that region and we just got to keep keep it going like we're talking about it now somebody else will pick it up they're going to call you in like two years they're going to want to interview you for a book you know what i mean it's just i, I know the stuff is going to get its due at some point and it's it i hope just, so and, and well, that's why i'm trying to like you know get it out that's why i this year i did start you know a record label to get everything on spotify and all the streaming sites so like the one for one demo the one for one seven inch uh you know i re-released 25 life strength the unity you know um the fat nuts seven inches you know everything is on spotify now so beautiful whatever site you use and then i i also um when the pandemic started, I had a lot of free time. So that's when I finally uploaded all of my shows from Studio One, the pipeline, and everything from my camcorder onto YouTube. So like my YouTube page is uh youtube.com uh slash homicidal one, the, the number one, not ONE. And uh yeah, I got a lot of old shows on there. Pipeline, Studio One. So definitely go check that out as well. People listen to the guy check the shit out know your roots you always talk about it don't forget your roots we're helping you not forget all right seth anything else you want to tell these people uh yeah one i'm gonna plug my solo shit seth and violence i don't even know how to describe it because i do a million different styles but just go seth and violence look it up i got a lot of stuff going back 20 years hardcore metal electronic music hip-hop i do it all and love it you're a real music you're a music lover i always love that about you you're like a legit music lover 
Yeah, and I want to thank you, especially you, uh, for uh, one, taking the time to speak with me today, but two, also, I live out here in, in Pennsylvania now. Richie's sister was my real estate agent, and I wouldn't have been able to get this house if it wasn't for Richie and his sister, and I, I want to thank the both of you for that because- Oh, good. She, hooked, she most, hooked it up. Was she good to deal with? Dude, she was the best because you know what it's like now, or people know what it's like now trying to find a house in this market, and I was in a really bad situation, and she helped me get out of it. I got my first house here, and now I, I'm finally playing drums seriously in my own home. Like I haven't had a place to play drums, so I never really played drums in my adult life because I had no place to play. Mm. Now I play drums at home. Drums is my instrument again. And uh, yeah, I could just make noise and do whatever I want, whenever I want. And if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be in this, this position right now. So sincere, thank you uh, for of that. Of course, man. I'm glad you got one thing about PA is people mind their own fucking business. Yeah, they definitely do. I got space here, you know? Like, I, I don't yeah. even know what my neighbors look like yet, and I've been here almost a year. Do you hear fireworks throughout the whole year, though, or no? I I think I hear gunshots. They could be either. But one thing about PA people, I mean, it, it, Christmas Day, you're going to hear fireworks and shit all year round. Yeah, I, I know fireworks, fire. though, because I grew up around fireworks. Like, you know, that had firework dealers. We used to light fireworks down at the beach, like, regularly and like i just know firework sounds so well. you're hearing gunshots this is the exact same sound every single time there's no like you know it's just a clear <laughs> like you know it, it sounds like that song i released today kill them all or that was yesterday oh that was right? dope too you gave me that one that was cool thank you right but yeah, yeah all, that had real that, gunshots going on in that one da, 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 yeah da. because i hear them all day at my house i heard them yeah. today that's the only thing i hear from my neighbors i don't hear anything it's not like a direct neighbor it's got to be like like two blocks away or something you know? yeah not guns here people love their guns they love the fireworks they love the mind of business privacy yeah. i love and, fireworks uh, yeah yeah me too but fireworks are you know i mean i'm i don't know how far i am from you but yeah all day even yesterday fireworks all damn like these motherfuckers are outside it's raining they're setting off fireworks but it's a weird Stat place Stat PA, but I like that yeah yeah, it's not, yeah i'm i am a person that likes isolation and this is the perfect place for it good 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 yeah so yeah once again man thank you so much no doubt man i'll get up with you soon we'll talk soon absolutely all right my brother peace peace thanks a lot for listening we really appreciate it post america podcast will always be there for you don't forget that tune in next time for more fun with the boys until then Get your fucking ass out of here before I give you a smack, motherfucker! Who the fuck you think you in? This is post-America! You ain't shit, motherfucker!